right, y'all. Good morning once again. Ooh, a little, a little too much on the gain there. There we go. Children, if you are ready, you can go down the hall and have your Bible studies. And uh, the rest of us, ready or not, here we go. Uh, John chapter 13 this morning, uh, as we're moving into 2024, and I, wanna, I just want to point out that every year we look at uh, January, the first week of January and New Year's celebrations and sometimes not so much to celebrate, you know, anxieties and whatever might come with a new year for some. I, want, I just want to tell you that when things seem new, as was just pointed out, not everything is always new, right? There's nothing new under the sun. But God is always the same. The same God that blessed us last year will be the same God who plans to bless us this year. And somebody might say, well, I didn't feel very blessed last year. <laughs> okay, but it's because you weren't paying attention. Right? The blessings of the Lord are available for all who would seek them out. And in, in my opinion, in, in my experience, uh, in, in, in my time with the Lord as a believer, I've learned that the more I do the will of God or endeavor to serve and do the things that Jesus died for me to do, the more blessings I am aware of in my life. Especially when all of my efforts have to do with pouring into someone else or some other people and are less about self, see, then it seems like the blessings are abundant or the, the awareness of God's blessing is more involved or, or, or a, I'm aware in a deeper way, in a way that even the awareness of his blessings is a blessing, if you think about it. It's a, isn't it a blessing to be aware, be in that moment, be like, wow, how much the Lord must love me or us. Just to, just to live in that awareness is a blessing in and of itself. Because, you know, our God, our creator, the Father, he, didn't have, he doesn't have to do anything for us. You see, he doesn't have to love you. He does, but he doesn't have to. He loves you because he wants to. And his blessings are made available to us through our Savior. So, how much more should we endeavor to pursue the blessings of the Lord? So whatever happens in whatever time the Lord has to give us left, whether it's all of 2024 or part of it, or maybe even another year after that, shouldn't we seek the Lord's will to live in his blessings? I've been in ministry since, well, really... I've been, I've been in ministry since 2002. And my wife's looking at me strange right now because she knows that we didn't, we didn't quit working until 2007. We quit our jobs and went into full-time mission work, heading towards full-time ministry, and never looked back. And those numbers don't add up. 
right? Because if I didn't go into ministry until 2007, how can I say that I've been in ministry since 2002? And it's because February 2002 is when I got saved and became a believer and surrendered my life to Christ and became a disciple maker. And at that moment, I signed up to work for the kingdom of God. At that moment, the ministry that God would do in my life for, for the world that I live in began. It, you see, I didn't know that when I got saved. I didn't know that from 2002 to 2007. That's how long it took for the Lord to reveal what's going on. Right? I didn't realize in 2002 that me giving my life to Christ and me confessing my sins to him and repenting and confessing Christ as my Lord, being baptized in the, into Christ for the forgiveness of my sins and then receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. In that moment, it was all genuine, but I believed it was so that I could go to heaven. And as the Lord worked in me and as the Spirit had his way in me and the Word of God had its way in me, I began to realize and grow into an understanding that, no, no, this is about God. Including your salvation. And, you know, during that time from 2002 to 2007 and then beyond, as I was uh, being a Timothy to somebody else, somebody else was mentoring me and, and bringing me up in the, in, into the, the service of the kingdom as a, uh, as a minister of the gospel, I slowly realized that it's not even my witness. It's not even my ministry. <laughs> Nothing about it is mine. And the more I laid claim to it, the harder it was and is. The more I believe that things belong to me and are for me, the less I experience what the Lord really is and wants to do in the life of the believer, right? I guess my point, that's like the long way around the block to tell you that you all are in ministry if you're a believer. You have a different assignment than I do in some ways, and in many ways we all have the same assignment to minister to people to minister to people with the gospel to care about people to go into the world and minister do ministry we uh, myself and the elders have been discussing the next year and, and where we're going and what we're trying to do and the conclusion that I keep coming to in my own prayers and in the discussions is that any church including Oak Grove we're not going to do the will of God if we're not doing ministry. Whatever that means for us. So the prayer now is, okay, Lord, we, we want to seek your will. We want to do what you have brought us together to do. We want to know what your will is. And then we would like to know how to do it. And then ultimately we would ask the Lord for his help to go do it, right? Whatever it is. Whatever that ministry is. And I don't think there's a clear-cut answer. We're not looking, we shouldn't be looking for what program is going to get the church going. 
how do we get this group of people or that group of people to do this? That's not ministry. That's just programming. Programming is a byproduct of ministry. When, when you do ministry, you, 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 you tend to uh, draw people near to you, which then in, uh, instigates a need for some type of organization and programming to be involved. Right? So let's not do it backwards. So let's seek, what, what, does, it, what does ministry mean? What is ministry? According to the word of God, according to the way the Lord would have us do ministries and how he would like for us to be ministers of the gospel. You see. And I think, uh, let me just eliminate this if it's still in your mind, which I highly doubt because I know all of you and I've never seen any evidence of it. But it, it happens around the church, around the body of Christ. The preacher is not the sole and only minister in the crowd. Okay? All of you who are saved are charged to carry the gospel into the world. Preach the gospel. Go tell people who Jesus is. Share the love of God with all anybody and everybody. Say it, do it, live it, be true to it. Stand firm. With the Lord's help, right? Amen. It, according to 1 Peter chapter 1 and 2, we're all ministers. Just read 1 Peter chapter 1 and 2 for an afternoon Bible study if you want. Afternoon men's meeting, by the way, folks. All right. We have to engage in ministry, but how do, here's the question. This is what we're going to try to answer this morning as I go through 17 verses of chapter 13 of John, the Gospel of John. Y'all are like 17 verses. It'll go quick, I hope. But the question is how? When I ask myself, okay, how, not only what ministry do we do, but how do we do it? Because if you don't know how to do ministry, then it doesn't matter what ministry you try to do. Okay? If you don't know, that's why uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of preachers at different uh, smaller churches, they look at the bigger churches and they're like, oh, they're doing this program, let's do it here. Or let's do that program over here, let's do that ministry over here. And they're just trying to take what other preachers are doing and trying to insert it into their family, and the dynamics are different, the people are different, the personality of the church is different, the community is different, and they're not doing ministry, they're just trying to do programs. Because they see that program is working for another preacher or another church somewhere else. And we're not seeking the Lord. What do you want us to do here? How do we minister here? Because the Lord doesn't do anything for no reason. Hello? He's not going to bring a crowd of people together and just say, okay, that was fun. And have no purpose. No, there's a reason. There's a purpose behind all that the Lord does. So I want to read through. I'm just going to, I was going to break it down first, but I'm going to read through it and then go back and break it down. So here we go. Verse 1 of chapter 13. This is uh, 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 Jesus uh, at the, he's getting ready to, uh, he's getting ready to leave. He's ready to go, go to the cross. He's at having the Lord's Supper. And it says now, verse 1. I'll, click, I'll, I'll do the, uh, the slides here in just a minute. Just look in your Bibles. Verse 1 of chapter 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, 
Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who, who were in the world, he, he loved them to the end. During supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and, uh, and that he had come forth uh, from God and was going back to God. Verse 4, he got up from supper and laid aside his garments. And taking a towel, he girded himself. Then, verse 5, he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel which, uh, with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter. He said to him, Lord... Do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. And Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And then finally in verse 9 through the rest of the uh, uh, text it says simon peter said to him lord then wash not only my feet but also my hands and my head and jesus said to him he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet but is completely clean and you are clean but not all of you for he knew the one who was betraying him for this reason he said not all of you, not all of you are clean so when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again he said to them do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so, so I am. If then the Lord and the teacher washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. And then he says, truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is, no, is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Let's find the lead. That's a pretty amazing event right there. A lot of things happening right there. In the first verses, 1 through 8, it started off setting the scene. The, uh, the, 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 uh, our Lord is having his last meal with his disciples as he's preparing them for what's about to happen. Uh, there, there's no way they can be totally prepared for it. They don't even understand what's happening. It's obvious. And he, tries to, he decides to give them an object lesson, a, a, an illustration of what he wants from them, what he's preparing them to do. Notice in the beginning in verses 2 and 3, he says these the two things pop out in John's gospel. He says, first off, uh, Satan had already hardened Judas's heart, and he had already made up his, in his heart, made up his mind he was going to betray Jesus. That's important to know. And the second thing it says right after that is Jesus knew the, the, the total plan. He knew that the plan of God was for him to leave the presence of God the presence of holiness, come into the world for the purpose of going back to God after the mission is complete. Jesus is fully aware of what has happened, why it's happening, and what's going to happen, and the whole plan. And he still does these things. Here's the illustration that, he, that he, in, in verses, uh, verse 4, after those things are pointed out, he says this in verse 4, Jesus got up 
right? He's knowing that the Father of all things into his hands that he had come forth from God and was going back to God. Then he got up in verse 4. He got up from supper and laid aside his garments and taking uh, a towel, he girded himself. Now we're learning from Jesus here. We're learning from our Savior. We're learning from the one whom we're trying to be like, Lord willing, right? The Lord is to help us. The Spirit of God is here in, in, in our presence to help us grow into being like our Savior. And first thing he did, the first thing I noticed is he got up. And I don't mean this as any kind of smart aleck remark, but the truth is, in this very moment, there are believers who can't even get up to worship the Lord, let alone minister to anybody else. Obviously, you all are not those people. The point is, if we're going to do ministry, we have to be prepared to get up and go do. He didn't just get up. I mean, they were having supper, y'all. They were at the dinner table, supper table. They were at the supper table. He just got up and he, look, I said, he laid aside his garments and taking a towel, he girded himself. I, I looked up that word because we, we say it all the time because we read it in the Bible a lot to gird your loins or to gird, to gird yourself. And it simply just means to prepare yourself for work. To do something physical. He got ready. Right? In our, in our culture, in our time, well, I don't know about now, but when I was younger and maybe genera- a couple generations before me, we would roll up our sleeves. Because we're fixing to get our body involved in some hard work. That's, that's what he's saying. So Jesus, showing us what to do, showing us how to minister to others, we get up and we get ready, we get prepared to get to work. Because disciple making is hard work. Bringing in the harvest is hard work. It's not easy to go into the world and love people. If anybody says to me, well, I don't have that much of a hard time, uh, let's have lunch because I'd like to know. I'd like to know what you're, how you're working it out that way. Especially since Jesus says it's not going to be easy. He began in verse 5, check it out. He, 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 not only did he get up and he get prepared to do something physical and, and something that it, it required him to engage in something that, how many of y'all think that hard work is a pleasant thing? Some people like hard work. I mean, most guys that know how to work hard take some kind of satisfaction into being able to work hard and get something done, right? That's, that's not what I mean. If it was meant to be enjoyed thoroughly as a uh, complete and 100% blessing, it would not have been a, a, a consequence for uh, Adam when he was kicked out of the garden. To break a sweat and to work hard for what God had given him freely. But see, he began to, look in verse 5, he says, Then he poured, out, he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with, uh, with which he was girded. This is uh, Jesus in action. This is ministry in action. He took the place of a servant. 
in front of his disciples, in front of uh, the ones who left their lives to follow him because he's to be the king of the Jews. Remember, Peter was like, when Jesus was like, who, who do you guys say that I am? Because we know what the world says I am. We know what all these people think about me. Who do you say? And of course, Peter, first one, he's like, oh, you're the Christ. Duh. We know you're the Christ. And I'm bringing that up because uh, G, uh, Peter's just about to have an interaction with Jesus that is kind of a little bit missing the mark because he doesn't understand what's happening. He's, he's looking at the culture, and he's looking at what he believes the truth is of everything, and he's putting it together, and if it was the way he had it in his mind, then it would be appropriate that Jesus should not do what he's doing. Because what he's doing in verse 5 is only for the lowest of the servants to do. And he just got up and did it. He poured water into the basin and he began to wash the feet of the disciples. And I, I sit back and I'm thinking, okay, how come Peter's the only one objecting to this? You ever think about that? And I don't know if there's an answer to be found. I suspect it's because uh, they had so much respect and reverence for Jesus that they're just not going to be the one to object. They're, you know, the, we all have this, at some point, and, 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 and we all have this herd mentality. We just kind of go with the flow sometimes, you know. Right? Why'd you go over there? I don't know. Everybody else went over there. Why'd you park over there? Everybody else parked over there. But Peter, he's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Right? Verse 6, he says, so he came to Simon Peter and he said to him, Lord, you wash my feet? Verse 6. Peter's like, wait a minute, you're washing my, you're doing this to me? I don't even believe that Peter's saying, I, I really should be doing this to you, so much as he's saying, there's other people, we have servants for that, Lord. And you're not to do what servants do. How can, you, how can I follow you? How can I drop my entire life and follow you if, if, this is the, if this is who you are? You see, Peter didn't get it. He had no idea what was to come. He had no idea what was he, the, the, even the lesson that was being taught in this moment. Because Jesus took this, the place of a servant. Not only did he take the place of a servant, but he took the, it was like an unspeakable, shocking thing that was done. And everybody was confused. And Peter was the bravest one to speak out. It's not about washing feet. Anybody here want to wash somebody else's feet? Hello? In these days, it was even worse, wasn't it? Because everybody's feet were not only just feet, but they were caked with road grime. And who knows what else? Because you're walking with animals. And, and Jesus is sitting here washing the disciples' feet. And he's not complaining about it. He just, matter of fact, got himself, got up, got himself prepared, knelt down, and just started washing feet. Not just one of them, all of them. Everybody that was there, he washed their feet. And Peter was the only one. He's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You, can, you can't wash my feet. And he said to Simon, Lord, then he said, look, he said, I don't, if, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. 
I'm a, I feel like in some ways I'm a lot like Peter because I need the Lord to be as blunt as he will be with me so I can get the picture. I'm a little bit slow on that particular part of things. If you beat around the bush with me, I'm probably not going to get it. God knows that, so he's direct. But you know, in, in the original writings, the original language, when Peter says, you're not going to wash my feet, in fact, in verse 8, he says, never shall you wash my feet. That particular sentence, he's saying, never, never, never. For all eternity should this ever happen. I was reading, I was studying that, and I was thinking to myself, okay, that's a, that sounds like a, uh, that sounds like a, a, a grade school kid saying, never, never, never infinity, <laughs> so that you can't say, you're trying to win an argument. Peter's saying, look, this, this should never happen, w w could not ever happen, I'm not going to allow it to happen for the rest of my life and on to eternity, should this happen, and he's saying it because it goes against the culture that they're living in. It would have been totally proper for some Gentile slave to come and do what Jesus was doing. And so, so, so Jesus just looks at Peter and says, if I don't do this, then you, you're not, you can't have no part of me. You can't have no part of what I'm doing. Put that in perspective, y'all. I mean, Peter dropped everything and left his life to follow Jesus. And he's seen a lot of things that Jesus had been doing. And he's heard a lot of teaching about the kingdom of God that Jesus had been teaching. And even when Jesus asked him, who do you say I am? He said, you are the Christ. So put, try to put yourself in Peter's shoes when Jesus says, uh, if this don't happen, you can't have any part of what I am and who I am. And Peter, if he said, well, then you're going to have to wash not just my feet, you're going to wash all of me. You see, when you put the consequences out there, it changes people's minds, doesn't it? It's fine to tell everyone that God loves them. But if we don't ever tell them some consequences and the way out. We're not really loving them. We're not really doing ministry. We're not really doing them any kind of service at all, are we? If we're trying to do ministry, then we're trying to be like Jesus, and Jesus made himself a servant, y'all. <laughs> he says, I came to serve. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve you. Remember the, the, some of the fellows were arguing who's going to be the best, who can be the right and the left. We want to be uh, number one and number two, Jesus. How do we do that? And he's like, you don't even have a clue what you're asking. And I have to think in my mind, I have to try, I have to, I, I picture that in Jesus, some of what Jesus is saying is you don't know how to be a servant. You, that's not possible. Even if I allowed it, you couldn't do it. The reason Jesus came into the world is because we can't do it. And he came and did. Isn't that great, y'all? He came and served us so that we can have the ability to serve others. 
and each other. Isn't that great? Now, who, who thinks it's a good idea to serve one's self and only oneself? I like serving myself because I get what I want, how I want it. <laughs> right? The problem is it doesn't affect anybody else when I do that. It doesn't help anybody else. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't uh, give anything to anybody else. It doesn't help encourage anybody else. It's just me, myself, and I. That's not what Jesus died for. So here's, here's our Savior, our Lord, showing us what it means to be like him. So Peter's reaction, he's like, no, it's not going to happen. And he's like, well, if, that, if you put it that way, Jesus, then uh, all of me needs to be clean. And then he goes into this whole thing in verse 10. He says, uh, uh, he said, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. I had to read that a bunch of times. Sometimes Jesus sounds like a riddle. Like, what are you, what, what are you saying here? And the best I could discover is there's, there, there are two words in the original language that mean to clean or to be clean or to cleanse. And they mean the same thing, but they're, they're used in a different way. One, one is used to mean to clean oneself, and the other one is used to mean to be clean. And generally, basically, the understanding is that, it, okay, if you clean yourself, you might be clean, but you're not clean. If I clean you, you're clean, Jesus is saying. And he's saying, look, he's, and, and, he said, and, and he's like, look, if, you, if you've bathed, needs only, uh, he who has bathed needs only wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. Not all of you, Peter, all of you disciples. Don't forget about Judas. His heart was black as coal because Satan was allowed in. You notice anything here? Our Savior, our Lord, the one who died on the cross, the one who was brutally beaten, the one who gave up his life, the one who was buried in the grave, the one who the Father brought back to life after three days, also washed the feet of Judas. But he, st he still wasn't clean. I don't know about you, but if we're going to try to be like Jesus, and I think we should, if you're going to be like Jesus, then we got to look at that. Right? Because I will wash my wife's feet. I don't want to, but I will. I mean, it's better than, <laughs> better than washing my feet, but there's a, I mean, there's a lot of other feet in the world that I'm just like, eh, I don't know. And I'm pretty confident majority of y'all would look at my feet and be like, uh, we're pretty confident we're not touching those. This is not about washing feet, is it? It's not at all about washing feet. Jesus was using a cultural situation so that the disciples could understand what it means to be his minister. 
what it means to be like him. He's saying, unless you serve one another. That's what he's saying. Look, 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 look let, me, let me get all the way over here. I'm going to come back to that one. He said, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for, for, for so I am. If then the Lord and the teacher washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you, should, that you also should do as I did to you. He's saying, that, he's saying, look, I served you. I served you. And Peter was right when he said, I am the Christ. And if I, the Christ, should wash your feet to serve you, then how much more should you serve one another? Amen? It's hard, isn't it? It's hard. I want to go back to that. here's Here's the big question for the ages. The question of all time. Do you know what I have done to you? In verse 12. He looks at the disciples. After he washes their feet, after he uh, humbles himself and puts himself in a position that he didn't have to be in, right, by his own choice, and he washed all their feet, taught them their lesson, and then he went back and sat at the table, and he looks at them all and he says, do you all understand? Do you know what just happened? Do you know what I've done to you? And if, and if, and if we're going to be everyday Bible readers, trying to be faithful and studying our word, uh, as we should and letting the spirit of God have his way there there needs to be a moment of pause in verse 12 because sometimes the questions that Jesus asked his disciples during the time he's I believe he's asking us today I believe that Jesus would would, would ask us do you know what I have done to you Christian. In the 21st century. Do you know? Do you know what Jesus has done to you? Not for you, to you. And and I and I would hate to think that any of us would sit back and say, "Oh yeah, I know what Jesus did to me." And just blow it off like we know everything. Do you really know what Jesus did to you on the cross? Do you really know what happened to you when he was being spit on and beaten and cursed? When the nails were driven in his hands? When you were baptized into Christ because you received the gospel message and you became a minister of the gospel, do you really know what happened to you, what Jesus did to you in those moments? Do you know it? Are you aware?
we could not have asked for a, a more amazing Savior than the one we have. Because he doesn't just tell us what to do. He doesn't just throw out a bunch of riddles and say, figure it out. Jesus came into the world and showed us how to do ministry. He showed us how to serve. If our Savior existed on this planet to serve, then who are we to ever think that we shouldn't be serving? Each other, the community, our Lord. It's it, it, it's a simple thing to do, right? It doesn't take it. Does, you don't have to go to college. You didn't have to be learn learned. You didn't have to have an education. You didn't have to have some certificate to wash feet in those days. I mean, you pour water on them and you scrub them with the towel. Any one could have done it. Uh, when I when I first started preaching, I had a lot of arguments with the other preachers in my life over one thing. Well, there's a bunch of things, but this one main thing. A lot of godly men who were doing ministry way longer than I've ever thought about it, preaching, continue to tell me, you got to go to school. You got to go to Bible college. And in the beginning, I was adamant. I don't need no certificate, no doctrine, no, I mean, no document on the wall to tell me what the Bible says, and I can, share the, I can share Jesus with people without that. I've been doing it the whole time I've been saved. I was right. But they were more right, if that makes sense. Because you don't need... You don't need all of that to do ministry. To serve. You just need Jesus. You can get Jesus without Bible college. You don't have to have a doctorate to know Jesus. All you have to do is read the word, decide if you believe it or not, with the help of the Holy Spirit, you can go do ministry. And you can do it well. None of these disciples who became apostles had uh, a Bible college degree. And they went into the world and turned it upside down with the help of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. But not because they were anything special, but they were surrendered to serving God by serving people. That's Acts chapter 2 tells us the way the first church was. They had everything in common. Nobody had a need. They lived together and they lived for each other. And it says the Lord added to their number daily. Daily. I don't know how many times uh, the small churches around the world, we get, we get excited and we should when people get saved. The two or three times a year that it happens. 
And I'm, I'm constantly praying about this. Lord, it says, in, it says in the church, when the church began, you added to their number daily those who were being saved. I'm not challenging the Lord. The prayer is, help me, help me learn how to do what they were doing so you can continue to do what you did then. He's not any different now than he was then. The Spirit of God is the same now than it, he was then. The gospel is just as powerful now than it was then. What's different? What's different than what it was then when the Lord was adding to their number daily those who were getting saved? What's different? Ministry. It's either happening or it isn't happening. I think... Uh, I'm going to finish up with this. I think some of the trouble with some, maybe all of us in some ways, you and the Lord figure that out for yourselves, but I think sometimes we, we like to uh, step up to the window and ask the Lord to cater to our desires as far as how we're going to serve people. I'm willing to serve people as long as this, this, and this are in place, or as long as it's not about this, or as long as you don't make me do that. Or as long as I don't have to go and do those things. I, 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 went, I did go to Bible college and I did meet a lot of great guys and I did learn a lot of things. And the Lord's using all of those things for me to be better at doing ministry, I hope. But I met so many guys that were going into preaching ministry. And they spent every, almost every time we had conversation, they were dreaming about when they get out of school, they're going to go preach. And it was amazing to me because almost all of them said, well, I'm going to go, I'll go preach at a church if it's got this many people or if it's in this location or if it has this in place or if that. And I'm like, you're not going anywhere. If you're going to put all them restrictions on what the Lord's doing in your ministry. And I kind of get it because some of them guys had children or a couple of the older guys maybe had some grandkids they didn't want to move away from and all of that. I get it. But at the same time, who are we to tell the Lord how we're going to serve and where we're going to serve? Who are we to say to the Lord how it's going to go? I don't even think Peter was thinking about, I'm not washing feet. Why are you washing my feet? I don't even think he went that far. I think if he did go that far, he would have been totally appalled by the whole thing. I found this, I found this illustration. I'll just share it with you. S serving to give or to get. Some people just aren't serving. If you're not, hopefully you're not one of those, but if you are, you should just get up and get, to be, get, get your, gird, your gird, or gird your loins and get it done. Get engaged. But if you're serving... Here's the question. Are we serving to give or are we serving to get? Selfish service is impressed with the big deal. True service finds it's almost impossible to distinguish, from the, uh, distinguish the small from the large service. Selfish service requires external rewards. True service rests contented in hiddenness. Selfish service is highly concerned about results. True service is, fr is free of the need to calculate results. Selfish service picks and chooses 
whom to serve. True service is indiscriminate in its ministry. Selfish service is affected by moods and whims. whims. True service ministers simply and purely. Y'all get the point of that. I'm saying, I, I brought that up for y'all to, to have something to chew on and have something the Lord could help you understand and do a self-evaluation. Because if we don't self-evaluate and let the Lord show us some things, we'll never grow and we're never going to continue to do the things that the Lord has called us to do. But here's the fact. Ministry is to serve. That's what ministry is. To, we are to serve each other and the community. That's how we serve the Lord. Oak Grove, uh, Oak Grove Christian Church is to do ministry, and we are to serve. That's who we are. That's what we ought to be doing, because that's who our Savior is. And how do we get away from selfish service? How do we get away from the wrong kind of serving attitude? Well, I, I go back to the question, do I know what Jesus did to me on the cross? Do I know how my Savior served me on the cross? Am I fully aware of the sacrifices and the reality of what it took for him to do what he did to me? To clean me, to make me clean. As was said in the communion meditation, Jesus was the only one that could do to us what we couldn't do to ourselves. How, how dare we ever get to a place where serving others is not, it doesn't exist, it, it's not who we are. It, it, how, do you, how do you do it? How do you be the Christian and not serve people? Okay, okay. And here's the thing. I used, to, I used to think about how can I serve tomorrow? How can I serve next week? How can, what can I get involved in to do this? How can I serve those people? How can I be a servant? Felt like years ago, I felt like I was struggling really hard to be a good servant. But I'm, I'm hearing Jesus teach Peter and the rest of the guys, if you're part of me, it's who you are. It's what happens. You don't have to work hard. You don't have to think about it. You, it's just a reaction. It's easy to serve when everybody's looking. Ask the Pharisees. Nobody knows who cleans up the messes. You know, you've you seen the, the show Dirty Jobs? Mike Rowe and all that? And there's some dirty jobs in the world, man. There's some people that do stuff that make you and I spoiled. That otherwise, we'd have to do it ourselves. You ever notice when catastrophe hits around the world, it's always the church that shows up first? It's always the church that shows up and does all the hard work. It's always the church that leaves last, cleaning up the mess afterwards. That's because that's the way Jesus taught us to do it. I love you and the Lord loves you. If you're not a believer, um, you're not clean. You can't, you can't have no, no part of Jesus. You can't have no part of the kingdom of God if you're not clean. That's where we start. Repent, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. That's what was taught to us. Once that happens, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
and you begin your ministry. You begin God's ministry in your life. You begin a life of a servant for the kingdom of God. It's amazing. It's amazing. That's what we're trying to do here. So in the future, I want you all to pray for Oak Grove Christian Church that we would continue to see opportunities to serve. We don't have to go running around creating them. The Lord's got them already in place. Let's just see. Let's see if we can find them. Let's see if we can see them. Pay attention. Let's stand together. We're going to sing.